behave playful family well. Speaking of family, today's guest is my daughter, Addison Breeze Carey, who is a delight to my life, of course. She is also a change maker from the earliest days and now professionally as well. She works for the San Diego Food System Alliance, which is an amazing organization here in Southern California working on food justice. And as you'll see, she lives and breathes and works and walks and talks the environment, sustainability, equity, justice, climate, etc. I can't wait for you to get to know her like I know her. And uh, she had to share ice cream with me, which is never really fair for the second person because I use a big spoon and I don't stop. So enjoy. I'm so glad you're going to get to meet a member of my family because I see all of you as my family too. You're listening to The Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. Let's jump right in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of The Playful Podcast. Guess who my guest is today. Okay, well, you can't guess. I'm going to tell you. Addison Carey, who is actually my daughter and a change maker from early on. And I'm so glad you're going to get to meet her today. So Addison Carey, who is a development manager at the San Diego Food System Alliance, which is a wonderful food justice organization in San Diego where we both live and has been in her career of change making for about six years since 2018. So you're going to get to know her and I'm going to learn about her today, even though I've known her since the literally day she was born. You're going to, I'm going to learn some stuff too. So let me first of all introduce you to Addison Carey and let her tell you a little bit about what she does. Hello. Yes, Addison here. I have been in this development role at the San Diego Food System Alliance for a little over two years now. I've been in kind of the change-making space since graduating college in 2018, where I was a sociology major. And I think really being a sociology major was one of the major kind of turning points for me that led me towards this kind of career path. And so I work for the San Diego Food System Alliance now, and we do some really incredible work cultivating racial justice in the region and fighting climate change and building a resilient local food economy through local investments, uplifting local organizations and building capacity of small food and farm businesses in the region. Ah, oh, so good. Addison <laughs> is a real, like so many people that listen to the Playful Podcast, she both works and lives change making. It's avocation and vocation in equal measure. And as you get to know her today, you'll get to hear about some of the things she does in her personal life that are as powerful and impactful as the things she does in her professional life. And it's just a real smooth and constant blend between the two things. So I'm going to ask her, as I ask all guests at the beginning, who's the most playful person? I was going to say you, but I've changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was inclined to say you because you have a podcast about being playful <laughs> and I clearly know you, <laughs> but I don't know. I've decided I'm going to say my husband, Kellen, mm -hmm. uh, who is busy a lot, has, you know, many dreams and ambitions, but he never fails to prioritize like what brings him joy. And so he plays mm -hmm. in a variety of ways. He has his like Dungeons and Dragons game that he plays with friends and I'll be looking over at him and he's wearing a gnome hat and a, a strap on <laughs> beard to like play a gnome in his fantasy game. And he plays, you know, video games with his friends, but also like 
sports and cornhole and just really enjoying like that kind of social aspect of play for him. I spoke with him about it at lunch to confirm. There's a social aspect to it that he really enjoys. And yeah, I think you have a lot of play in you as well, but I think you've been cultivating it more recently Mm -hmm. and he's been kind of building upon a basis of play more. Oh, I love it. And this is another unique thing about getting to have Addison on the podcast, because I also know the person she's referring to. Often when I ask about the most playful person, one of my guests knows, I don't know their partner or kid or even colleague. And in this case, I can attest, I've known Kellen for a long time, Addie and he have been together a long time and married recently. And he is very playful. He is a twinkle in the eye kind of guy, regardless of whatever serious thing he might be undertaking, he, you have the sense that he will look for something playful about it to sustain his energy and those, the energy of those around him. So thank you for sharing that. So at the San Diego Food System Alliance, your current role, I know that as the name suggests, an alliance is an intermediary organization and Addison and I, and she knows that I have worked for intermediaries over the years. And it by definition, right, is this group that tries to get other groups to work together towards a goal and towards impact. And I wonder how playfulness, have you, how have you found playfulness show up in Alliance? That's your last name, San Diego Food System Alliance of the organization, in Alliance building, in community building, in bringing people together who have their own, for example, 501c3 may have their own budget, profit and loss statement, mission impact, constituencies. How does play help with that work? I think it's an interesting question. I think that part of the reason that our organization is so uniquely situated and appreciated in the region is we really take the time to explicitly give space and time for different emotions and just parts of being a human and parts of interacting in the nonprofit sector, in the workforce, et cetera. So that being said, like we are explicit about having kind of wellness spaces where we will process harm that people have experienced either in the nonprofit sector or personally, but really giving the opportunity to be the full person Mm -hmm. and the full scope of people as an organization, not just looking at the shiny good things. But Mm -hmm. since we have the opportunity to dive into things that are hard and shine light on them, it gives us space to have light playfulness that's not tinged by any of the kind of darkness that can sometimes feel difficult in some of this work, you know? Ooh, yeah. So like we have this wellness space at our annual event where people can kind of process emotions together, connect, and just like really work on their mental health and how it feels to be working so hard and something so critical and acknowledging the emotions that come with that. And then on the other hand, like we have usually a quarterly mixer or something. And in our last mixer, we had a game of Loteria um, where we had probably 40 or so people come and people were playing with beans on their little card and saying bingo and everything. And I think we're only able really to fully show up in that space because we do the work talking about Mm. the things that are difficult. Wow. That's master class. You all, you know, those of you that are parents and parents of grown children, especially could maybe imagine how I'm feeling right now. The pride I have in, in 
getting to, to witness my daughter doing this work and talking about it right now and sharing with you. That's really powerful. I love it. I do know also that her organization prioritizes the wellness of the staff and invests in that. I have blogged about this. I think I've talked about a little bit on the podcast. I've had over the last few years, two clients that received big grants from McKinsey Scott, from, for example. And as is well known in the sector, those were unrestricted grants. And the two clients of mine that received them both used part of the money for investing in wellness and play. Basically, I did a blog called Can General Operating Dollars Be Used for Massages? And it was a retreat that one of my clients had for their directors, not the board of directors, but the directors, the programmatic directors. And there was an opportunity at the retreat space to get a massage and it was covered by the cost of the, that the, that the group picked up. Tell me a little bit about, I know you had, if I recall correctly, summer Fridays and things like that. Some of the things that I think are becoming a little more common, but I think it's, we should always talk about them. They seem more and more common and more people will adopt these practices. Absolutely. It's really been something else. The nonprofit sector, I think, is so indoctrinated into believing we can't have anything or do anything besides work ourselves to death. But my organization has really just decided, no, we're going to just have an abundance mindset instead of a fear mindset. And of course, there's you know, the logistics of figuring out how we can afford to give staff more vacation time. But yeah, for example, we have a week off for winter break and a week off, we just started doing a summer break and really having this organizational wide time where people are logged off and spending time with their family in the ocean or on a mountain or rock climbing. It's beautiful to see what that's done for mental health in our own organization. And besides that, there's a pretty generous budget for professional development that we each get. So I've been able to participate in some really cool kind of coalition building spaces, one called White Women in Nonprofits, led by Michelle Murray and Floor Larson, which are some really cool leaders in the community-centric fundraising space. And additionally, I'd say we just, like kind of I mentioned, taking the time to speak to harm, we really emphasize coming as your whole person and whole self and acknowledging and giving grace to each other. And it trickles down to better pay, which is a difficult thing in nonprofit sectors. And all of those factors together, I think, really set the alliance apart as mm -hmm. a goal for other organizations trying to invest in each other so they can invest in their communities. Yeah. Thank you, Addie. I'll be switching between Addie and Addison because mm -hmm. there's the name that you know I use as her mom and the name we use as colleagues. I'm curious about other, you're young in your career, you're new in your career, but you've had several really interesting roles. And I wonder if you'd share a little bit about, especially for some of the younger change makers who are listening in, maybe recent graduates or about to graduate, what kind of steps did you take to what sounds like I suspect if they're listening, like, man, how'd she get that job? So tell us a little bit about your career path to this point. It wasn't a smooth hill. It was an upward climb and some dips, and that's how the roads go. Hmm. And yeah, I've oscillated between jobs that pay well and jobs that I'm passionate about or jobs that like have good colleagues. And I think that's kind of something that is common in many nonprofits. It's hard to get Mm -hmm. the big three, all of them. <laughs> and so I've journeyed from organizations that I was really passionate about, but just couldn't make ends meet to ones that was getting paid well and had good colleagues, but I just didn't have the connection that I was looking for to the cause. I was 
convincing myself that I was making the difference I wanted to make, but it was more of an argument to myself mm. than it's clear. And I think when I noticed that in my last role that I wanted to be closer to my passion, it was a difficult decision to make because I was like, well, I'm probably going to have to give up having any money and <laughs> having good colleagues. And to find that that's not the case mm -hmm. was really empowering. I think it's really to see that there's possibility out there can just remind you and kind of give you hope. So I think for me, kind of the biggest thing of my journey was listening to my passion. And I think the rest of it will fall into place yeah. if you pursue what really matters to you. So I think we should say it, it's maybe just right in the subtext, but Addie's passion <laughs> is broadly equity and climate justice. And, you know, I think more of us, and I think, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation is one of the biggest organizations that made the statement the loudest, you know, in the last few years, which is like, everything is climate now, right? They have reoriented all their grant making. And I know some of the program officers there who work in, you know, quote unquote, different for example, economic resiliency work, et cetera. And they're all making the case internally that it's all climate. And here's how their portfolio can hold up to that test. So the San Diego Food System Alliance, yes, food is the kind of the food justice system. The food system itself is the focus. But of course, climate is dramatically impacting every part of the food system. So tell us, if I've if got it right, tell us about your passion for climate. And as a young person, as you know, thank you. And, you know, for, from the older person's perspective, I think we're all counting on what we've heard about you all. And also we have to apologize, right? Yeah. She's Addie's nodding. So tell us a little bit about your passion for climate and how that shows up in your work and also how it shows up in your garden and your home. Well, first say, yes, you know, food system Alliance is largely focused on the food system, but I think really what our organization about is about intersectionality mm -hmm. and how systems create the life that we live. And it's clear that the life we live is not working for the majority of people in the earth. So the Alliance really looks at how are there structural systems in place that we can disrupt to create a more equitable and community oriented way of living in harmony with each other. My passion for climate, I think, in preparation for this, you know, you kind of talked to me about what we would expect yeah. on this conversation. And I was remembering two books that I was given as a child from one of my grandmothers, and they were about manatees and what they could eat and the sea temperature rising. And I'm pretty sure it was about the turtles and trash. And this was like 2001, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I really remember those books. And I remember them encouraging me, those books encouraging me to write my own like children's book about recycling when I was in elementary school. And that all being said, you know, I come from a family of activists and people trying to make a positive difference in the world, whether that be through teaching or, you know, policy advocacy, yeah. et cetera. So I have memories you know, protesting, being pulled out of school to protest with my mom and meeting political leaders. And I've always felt strongly that the, you know, the personal is political and it's a privilege to not be able to think of politics. And mm -hmm. although I'm a super privileged person, I want to do, I want to use my privilege to 
change the way that things are. So when I was applying for college, I was just switching off randomly on my applications between anthropology and sociology because I was like, I don't know, I'll just do an ology. (laughs) (laughs) And when I got to the orientation, I ended up going to the wrong wrong section because I thought I had signed up for anthropology, but it was the wrong one. I ended up loving sociology so much. It was now, obviously, I knew things weren't perfect in the world in high school and everything, but in sociology, looking at kind of world systems and systems in the United States and systems throughout history and how people have been really corralled by kind of dominant socializing and ideologies that have really dictated the entire structure of our civilization and prioritized certain people who are still at the top and mm-hmm. keeping other people at the bottom who are still at the bottom. And really, I think I took an environmental sociology class and I kind of learned about the economics of fishing in Lake Chad and the environmental effects of redlining and environmental justice. And seeing the truth in all of those things that wasn't like necessarily totally hidden from me. I I could have found that when I was younger, but was not shown. People don't really think about or talk about things like that. And seeing the ways that these systems have created a life of so much imbalance and justice and environmental catastrophe really spurred me to do something to break those systems. And so I've been really lucky when I decided to leave my previous organization. My mom actually found this organization, the San Diego Food System Alliance. And remember reading their pages when they're talking about systems change and racial justice. And I was like, oh my gosh, finally, where's all of this content? Like, so it's been really incredible to be a part of an organization that's not only acknowledging systems change, but really fighting for disruption of harmful systems, because I think that's still really not talked about enough. Yeah. And it's such a clear answer forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I remember the books that Addie's referring to. And as I recall, in all of them, it was a series of them. And Addison's grandmother, this is her dad's mom, lives in Florida. And so these were the manatees, the sea turtles. They were sort of Florida ecosystem related stories. And I think in all of them, they sort of ended with this thing called the helpful humans that showed up. And I think we used to talk about, oh, the helpful humans. They had the little nest and everything. Yeah. So in the turtle story, there were helpful humans that came, saved the eggs in the sand and helpful humans were helping with the manatee issue. And I think that resonated with us because we saw ourselves as that. And you certainly are that. I'm going to, I'm going to reach down below our desk here and pull out the ice cream because we're getting into the, what's the scoop on how you came Mm -hmm. to care conversation, which is when we eat ice cream. Oh, I already answered it. Oh, it's perfect. There's, I know there's more to say though. So I'm going to get on my trustees cooler like usual. And we have Ben and Jerry's today. And this is the flavor ice cream Sammy's. And I got it for a couple of reasons. We're going to share a pint since we're sitting next to each other. And we're mother and daughter. And we're mother and daughter. My other guests have not had to share with me, which they're probably glad because I'm not that good at sharing ice cream. Okay. So Addie's going to hold this up. Ice cream Sammy's. And Alexa Harrison from Ben and Jerry's, who was on the podcast earlier in season two, she told me this was a summer flavor that wasn't going to necessarily be around forever. So that's one reason. And Ben and Jerry's is a supporter of the Playful podcast. And then Addison, growing up, and even still, even at her recent wedding, um, doesn't really care for cake. And so every time there was a birthday party or something, we had to figure out what to do besides cake. 
And often we had ice cream sandwiches. And one time I even made a cake out of ice cream sandwiches. I think maybe you did it for me twice. Okay, maybe twice. <laughs> so we're having this ice cream sandwich ice cream while we talk about it. I'm going to eat this wow, off the a cold spoon and everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so. I guess I didn't talk about, like, my at-home kind of. Yeah, so tell us about your garden and your climate-friendly home. So I will say that another way I've really gotten kind of personal satisfaction and joy has been finding ways to break out of the system. Mm. So I started learning how to knit and dye clothes with like organic waste. Like you can dye clothes with onion skins and make them like a nice soft orange color. Learning how to knit my own clothes, clothes for my husband and my niece and stuff, and learn how to grow my own food. And it's, you know, it's fun to do that stuff. It's cool to feel like the tactileness of creating something from either a seed or from yarn and making something useful. But really what I enjoy about it is the power of it, mm. that I don't need a large company to make my food or my clothes. I have the power to clothe and feed my family from my own knowledge. Wow. And it's about kind of food sovereignty and taking power out of corporations and when I'm educated about that stuff, I can share it with my friends and family and gave a strawberry plant to grandma. And when I have coffee with her, sometimes she brings me strawberries from her strawberry plant and taught a couple of friends how to knit. And I think it's a good entry point to understanding systems and power. What can you do in your daily life that you can like outsource from a major corporation to something of your own small community or of your own family? Man, you have not shared that with me before. And I'm so, oh, wow. I'm further inspired. I remember one time, so Addison is- This is very good, it, Ben and Jerry's. Yes, thank you, Ben and Jerry's for the ice cream, Sammy's ice cream. We remember one time when Addie had recently moved into her new home where she has a beautiful garden and we were FaceTiming, catching up at the end of the day. And she was walking in from the garden with a basket full of arugula, arugula from Peppers. her. Yeah. And I was literally at the same time also making dinner, making a salad. Mm -hmm. And I was opening up bags of pre-washed salad from Trader Joe's and nothing against that. But it was such a stark moment. I'm like, oh, look at that. She's this is the same and completely different. Look how many steps I was removed from that. And you were directly. Mm -hmm. walking in from the garden with your own arugula and I was opening up arugula in the bag. But I want to say there's no, it's not really a hierarchy. Like a lot of our work is about kind of creating a shift in culture. And even like the first steps on that journey, we like to talk about how important it is for the local consumer to lo know their local farmers and growers. Mm. And if you think about that in the context of COVID, how everyone went to the grocery stores, you know, that, whatever, first, second week of March in 2020, and there was no food yep. in the frozen section. There was no food anywhere. And if we build connections between consumers and local growers and food producers, that supply chain issue is kind of taken out of the equation because they still have food in the farm. They're still yeah. growing it. It yeah. still needs to be eaten. It's just not being traveled over state lines, packaged in another state, distributed in another state. The food is here. And you don't need to grow it yourself, but how can you bring it one degree more local and go from there? Whoa. So what I heard there is you giving me grace to not feel bad that I had packaged salad. Yeah. And 
also probably acknowledging that my awareness and knowing you might prompt me to get a little closer. For example, there was a day recently I was driving home from the market on a Sunday with groceries for the week. And I drove past the farmer's market that like, I know it's there on Sundays and it's very popular in our neighborhood. And I was like, I wonder how much of what I have in the back of the car is actually for sale right now at that farmer's market. Moments ago, I spent what I spent to get what I got. And so when I got home, I said to my husband, I said, let's like let next week, let's go check it out. Let's go see what they've got there that we normally buy. Right. So thank you for that awareness. I think, again, I think our generation, my generation is learning this from the generations below us. And it's really, it's exciting and it's encouraging for sure. I want to take the last few minutes for, to talk a little, if you, I would love, I've talked on the podcast. I think you've heard me talk about my grandmother, Addison's great grandmother, Eileen. I did a, an episode about her and her, her mantra, which was to light a candle rather than curse the dark, curse the darkness. I wonder if you can tell a little bit about memories you have about her. And she was very instrumental. She and my aunt, her daughter, in saving a big piece of wet, wetlands up in Orange County, California. And we would go, I would, we would take the kids there when we were little. What would have been 5,000 homes and a boating marina and a couple luxury hotels. I think ultimately when all was said and done, 35 homes were built. Maybe it was even up to 100, but a f- small fraction. Anyways, any memories you have around that? Yeah, I mean, definitely remember running around with my brother and looking at bugs and birds. And I think the fact that they had kind of the foresight to see that as an important issue back then is really impressive. If anything has been proved in the last five years, it's how important wetlands are for climate resiliency. And I've always felt really proud that's part of our family history as well. And I think, you know, looking into that further, it's really this culture shifting aspect Mm -hmm. that I like to, you know, relate back to our work when we can just expose people to where, like, how do you get a plum? Is a plum like come out of the ground? Is the plum like out of an animal? Like, how do you get a plum? And how do you like, you know, it's not a piece of chicken. Like it was a chicken. Um, Mm -hmm. Where was it slaughtered? Like, not that food just appears on your plate, but really understanding kind of being closer to things like you were saying. And I think that stands really true with teaching kids about climate moving forward. I think anything we can do to encourage, you know, like nature-based learning, being outside, seeing the beauty and the harmony that the earth has created naturally, and how can we help highlight and emphasize that to them? There's a lot of comments about how important it is for kids to be bored and experience Mm. boredom. Mm. And how important is it to be out in a space, be bored around nature and observe what there is and not just be blocking it out of your mind because it's not like flashing lights. Just really like looking around you and looking at the grandness of the mountains Mm. and the grasses blowing in the breeze and the fruit blooming on the trees yeah. and the fruit dropping on the ground and the bugs eating the fruit. It all is so important and has such an important role to play and it needs to be respected and valued. And besides that, you know, I think really honoring indigenous land management practices and finding ways to uplift and build capacity of organizations that are working to 
provide more food sovereignty for tribal organizations is really an incredible cause to align yourself with. Organizations that are working to cultivate racial justice, particularly I'm knowledge of those in the food system, but it's really about shifting power. It's all about power and it's about power and it's about beauty and connection, Mm. you know? Wow. Okay. So I was going to ask you for a call to action and I think that was one, but if you want to think for a moment about a specific call to action to those listening, how could, certainly we're going to put up on the show notes, the link to the San Diego Food System Alliance, maybe the community-centric fundraising reference that you made, some of the other important tools that Addison has talked about. If you've got an additional call to action, we'd love to hear it. And then I don't want to miss the chance to ask you about what you think is your play personality. So what would you rather do first? I'll remind you what they are. Great. I suppose the call to action would be create a meal for yourself and your loved ones where you know where the food came Mm. from. And maybe you have a conversation with the farmer and see how that changes the experience of eating the food, the experience of the meal, and the experience of shopping the next time you go shopping. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. And the play personalities that come from Dr. Stuart Brown, who you all know that we've talked about on the podcast and he's been on the podcast. See if I can remember them. Joker. There's eight of them. Kinesthetic, like physical play. So Joker joking around. The second one, like physical play. Explorer. Director. Storyteller. And then there's three that start with C. Collector. Competitor. And convener. That's a lot of choices. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe collector. I've noticed about myself since COVID started, I've a collector of hobbies. Mm. It started with baking bread and then Mm -hmm. knitting and gardening. And I definitely find a lot of joy in building those skills. Mm. I think my husband and I were talking during lunch about my most fun. Yeah. You know, think about myself though. I think when I experience the most fun is when I'm cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other kind of hobbies that I have are more, you know, like anxiety reducing or mental health building or just relaxing. But when I'm I'm cooking in the kitchen, I find like, you know, smelling things and finding relative play, flavor profiles. It's a fun way to just kind of like creative. I think it's a way to creatively exercise my brain in a way that feels very low stakes because who cares if it doesn't taste good. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of tasting good, I've had most of the ice cream so far. So I'm going to, as we sign off today, Addison, let her have a few bites of ice cream. I had perhaps another call to action. Yeah. Not sure when this will be airing, but our organization does have an annual event. It's usually in the fall. It's October 19th, 2023 this year. It's called the annual gathering. And if there is a part of you that has any interest in learning about systems, about where your food comes from, about food waste, about watershed protection, really anything having to do with the food system. I like to say from seed to landfill, because it really Mm. is before it's a plant and after it's a plant. Mm. Um, If you have any interest in anything like that, coming to our annual gathering is a fabulous way to understand the local movement and get to know some really passionate, incredible people doing amazing work in the region. It's a really special, unique place that if you 
are local and have the opportunity to attend. It's life-changing, I think. And otherwise, just get to know a farmer. The next time you see a farm stand, go buy something and ask them about the growing conditions and what their biggest struggle was growing this. You'll be amazed. All right. That is a wrap. What a great time, Addison Carey. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being with us. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Stay tuned for Double Scoop, two delicious insights from today's episode. All right. So what did I tell you? I think if you if you heard the very beginning of my introduction of Addison, you knew uh, you were in for something special. And so now wrapping that up with the Double Scoop from the episode Addison's comment about her call to action about talking to a farmer was one that just enchants me and enchanted me. And I'm going to do that. I am going to get closer to the people that grow my food, which means I get closer to the solutions um, around food justice. So talking to farmers is the first action item in the double scoop that I can think of. And secondly, I really love what she said about being independent of corporations, that her ability to care for herself and her family is not dependent upon companies and systems beyond the most grassroots system. So she, as a knitter and a gardener and a mender and someone who really lives off the land and with the land. She is continually building her independence from systems that are broken and unfair. So I just, those double scoops to me are, are like chunky, delicious ice cream. There's a lot there to savor. And I hope you enjoyed getting to know my wonderful daughter and you, we will watch her together change the world. Those of us in the older generations are so grateful that people in her generation are taking the baton from us and are going to fix things. Thank you so much. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. If you want to stay playful as you tackle the world's problems and get all the scoop on today's tastiest ice cream, click to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can learn more about Christine on LinkedIn and her work with changemakers worldwide at impactfulinc.com. That's impactful with two L's, I-N-C.com.